0: You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well,
1: there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast.
2: So this amazing thing happened in Colorado. Somebody gave – we don't know who, uh, what organizations, what individuals. They gave this large private donation, $5 million to the state in 2009 to fund an experimental program that provided free or cut rate IUDs and other form of long-lasting contraception to teenagers in that state. And how would that experimental program do? It did Great. 40% drop in Colorado's teen birth rate over five years. The teen abortion rate dropped by 35% between 2009 and 2012 in the counties in Colorado that were served by the program, and it saved Colorado all sorts of money too. For every dollar spent on the program, the state saved an estimated $5.85 and money they didn't have to spend on welfare programs. There's a lot of writing about this program uh, as people are beginning to assess it and and see how successful it was last year. And I wrote this after reading these results, which are tremendous. The lesson in Colorado for conservatives ought to be this. You can be against abortion or you can be against contraception, but you cannot be against abortion and against contraception. And they are increasingly right-wingers are against contraception. They are fighting contraception. But conservatives who oppose contraception increasingly and are fighting it, fighting access to it, we have to make them eat this fact. That opposing contraception, making contraception harder for women to get, means more unplanned pregnancies and more unplanned pregnancies mean more abortions. So if you are fighting contraception, you are fighting for abortion. When I wrote that last year, looking at the results of this Colorado study, I was speaking of conservatives generally, conservatives nationally, when I asked why they were fighting so hard to make contraception so much harder to obtain. I wasn't actually talking to conservatives in Colorado. I figured that surely conservatives in Colorado, having seen the effectiveness of this program, having witnessed how dramatically it lowered the unplanned pregnancy rate – conservatives hate unplanned pregnancies – having watched the numbers of teenagers getting abortions in Colorado – plummet and conservatives hate abortion. And having seen how much money it saved the state, conservatives hate spending money on welfare, except for corporations and military contractors. I mean, this is a program that saved nearly $6 for every dollar spent and dramatically lowered the abortion rate too. Surely, conservatives in Colorado wouldn't kill this insanely effective program, would they? Ha ha ha. Of course they would. And they just did. In Colorado, a Senate committee killed the bill on a party line vote with Republicans voting against it that would have funded this program now that the private donation money has run out. And you're never going to believe what the reasoning is behind Colorado Republicans' move to kill this bill that lowered the abortion rate, lowered the unplanned pregnancy rate, and saved the state money. They're worried, quoting Representative Kathleen Conti, Republican Littleton, and I'm just going to quote her, are we communicating anything in that message of providing contraception that says, you don't have to worry, you're covered? Does that allow a lot of young ladies to go out there and look for love in all the wrong places as the old song goes? She asked, it, then she voted to kill this bill. So Republicans in Colorado are worried that this program is sending a message to young people that it might be okay for them to have sex. And Colorado Republicans hate that message, potential message, that, that misconstruing of what the program is all about that, that that some young Coloradans may engage in. They hate that message more than they hate abortion, that they are willing – you know, they think abortion is murder and got to save all the babies. They're willing to kill babies if it means not sending that message. I'm trying to think if there was anything on the left where we were willing to drive up the abortion rate to make a point. We were willing to kill babies to make a point about climate change and global warming that Republicans would not stop having a Fed. Republicans would be having seizures all over the country and falling on the ground to point out the immorality and the moral bankruptcy of the left if we were willing to kill babies to make a point. And here we have – Republicans in Colorado killing babies to make a point. They're going to drive the abortion rate for young people back up 35%. That is not an insignificant number. Going to drive it right the fuck back up because because somebody somewhere might be having sex for fun without suffering, without being punished. As Amanda Marcotte wrote at RH Reality Check, as the situation in Colorado shows, conservatives are willing, eager even, to keep the teen pregnancy rate sky high on the slim hope that doing so might scare someone sometime out of having sex. It suggests they want people to suffer unnecessary problems like STIs and unintended pregnancy to punish them for engaging in sexual activity. I would just add that it suggests, no, it proves, it proves that conservatives will happily kill all the babies if doing so will stop people, young people, poor people, unmarried people, gay people, from enjoying, quote-unquote, consequence-free sex. That is their term Sex should always be consequential. Something's got to happen, got to ruin your life. Because really, it's sex they hate. Sex for pleasure they hate, which is 99.99% of the sex that people have, including conservatives, and they fucking hate it. They hate all of it. They hate that kind of sex, the kind of sex that they themselves are having, more than they hate abortion, teen moms, and welfare spending combined. Knowing that some people out there having sex for pleasure without having their futures disrupted by unplanned pregnancies or having their health compromised by sexually transmitted infections or having to run through a traumatizing gauntlet of shrieking sidewalk counselors outside a clinic to get an abortion that keeps them up at night. I'm shocked and angered and it's stunning. And this, that this isn't national news is appalling. I saw it get one mention An aside on the Rachel Maddow show as Rachel was covering the Baltimore riots, rightly so, worked in just an aside about everything going on right now about abortion and this was in there. And I was – I had to get online and look it up. I could not believe it. I thought – honest to God, thought Rachel misspoke that this program of all programs Republicans would go after and dismantle. Even I didn't think they would stoop that low. Even I didn't think they would do something that revealing of their true agenda which is to punish people for having sex for pleasure and to kill babies. They're happily willing to kill all the babies. If it means communicating to people that sex for pleasure is always wrong, they will kill the babies and they will be killing the babies next year in Colorado when this program expires, courtesy of the Republican party. Your calls after this.
0: This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. Try Squarespace at squarespace.com and enter offer code SAVAGE at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful.
2: The Savage Lovecast is sponsored by Smart Mouth Activated Mouthwash. Smart Mouth blocks bad breath for 12 hours. Get Smart Mouth at your local drugstore and keep your breath fresh. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com savage. Hi, Dan. I'm a
3: straight female on the East Coast. I'm 25. I am dating the best, sexiest, coolest, most amazing humans ever. I've um, been dating for a couple years. 31, we decided to get married after a series of many, many conversations and always feeling like it was what would be best for us. We told my parents, we told his mom, everything's cool, everybody's super supportive on board. Um, and then it comes to the part where we decide we don't want a ceremony. We come from different backgrounds. I'm Jewish, he grew up Christian, I'm black, I'm sorry, I'm white, he's black totally different cultures in a lot of aspects and his family is suddenly very, very unhappy with this. Um, we don't want a traditional engagement, we're not doing a proposal. I work at Planned Parenthood, that's another point of contention. I think it's really tough to figure out how to have a supportive and happy family um when there is some drama and his family's local mind's not a big part of his life, becoming a big part of my life. And I'm just wondering how we can make everybody feel comfortable with the fact that we're not doing the big diamond ring and the white dress, the mentioning of the gods. And to an extent, I know it doesn't matter, but there's a big part of me that wants to be accepted into his very large, very simulated family. And although he's cool with whatever and supportive in every way he can be, there is still this kind of female group that I'm not quite allowed
2: into yet. You don't have to make them happy. I'm really of two minds here. On the one hand, it's your wedding. It's your life. It's your relationship. If you don't want to have a ring and a ceremony and you don't want God mentioned at your ceremony, stick to your guns. And if it makes them unhappy, you just have to then own that. That, yes, we are doing this thing because it's who we are and it's what we want and we'd like you to be happy for us. And if you can't be happy for us, then fuck off and don't come to the ceremony and be a dick. You have to have the confidence and the courage and the tenacity and the ova and the testes. Just lay that out there. This is who we are. This is how we're doing it. We want you there and we want you to be happy for us. They may express disapproval and anger and whatever else because they're trying to leverage the ceremony they would like you to have out of you guys through the expression of this disapproval and the demonstration of this anger. If that's not going to work, then you just have to power through it. You just have to put up with it. Until they realize that this tantrum isn't going to work, that they're not going to get their way, that they're not going to be able to impose on you to the ceremony that they would rather you have by being shitty. All that said, you say you want a supportive, happy family. Sometimes you do things. Sometimes you go through the motions. When my son was born, I got on an airplane with this infant and I flew home with my then boyfriend, now husband, then couldn't be husband, now can be and is to Chicago where we had a baptism. We went to a Catholic church and we had him baptized. I am not a believer. I'm a cultural Catholic. As as an expression of my cultural Catholicism, I could wrap myself around this. Terry is an atheist and an Episcopalian. And we did it because it meant a lot to my family. It meant a lot to my mother to put her grandson in the same baptismal gown that she wore, that I wore, that her father wore, that my great-grandfather wore meant something to her and it was no skin off our noses really it was a very small thing they had they were so accepting of us my mother my whole family so accepting of us and who we are that this gesture in return to accept them and who they are and what family means and what family does when there's a new kid you have this baptism in a church you put the kid new member of the family in this antique baptismal gown that everybody has worn and you welcome them to the family with this ritual And we did it. And it was lovely. And it cost us nothing. And it didn't turn us into Catholics or turn Terry into a Catholic. I still consider myself Catholic. I like to call myself Catholic a lot just to annoy the Catholics who hate me and say I'm anti Catholic. Hi there, Bill Donahue. Love your latest press release about me. Enjoyed it very much. So if you guys can go there, if you can do it, if you are really concerned about making them happy and it's not going to make you sad, because that baptism didn't make me sad it annoyed Terry. It didn't make me sad. Fuck Terry. I liked it. If you can get there, if you can go there, then do it for them. Do it as a gesture. But if you can't, if it makes you unhappy. If it feels like you're compromising your values and who you are, then you're just going to have to stick to your guns and risk being disliked and power through the tantrum that it sounds like they're already having.
3: Hi, Dan. A uh, 24-year-old female bisexual so I have a new boyfriend, we just started dating about a month ago, and I haven't dated anybody in like four years. And so this is kind of a big deal. And, you know, it's super great, we're super into each other, like everything is awesome. Except the other day, uh, we were having sex and stuff and it was great. And afterwards, he was like, you know, do you realize you like never touch my dick? And I had not realized that um, necessarily, except I guess I kind of had. And he was like, you know, I really like that. And I realized, I, I guess I've like always been sleeping with as many women as men. So, And I like love fingering chicks and whatever. I never realized that I don't really, you know, know how to give a hand job. And I skip that step and I give blowjobs and they're pretty good. But, you know, I just like skip that step. So I don't know. And, you know, so then he goes to kind of teach me how to do it. I was trying to be all cute about it and whatever, and it just didn't work. And then I was, like, super self-conscious, and now I'm, like, you know, and I, like, didn't get off when we banged or anything. And now, like, I don't know what to do. Hi, Ken Savage. How are you? I'm good. How are you?
2: Good. Do you have a dick in your hand right now?
3: Uh, I don't, but I did earlier today. How'd it go? Uh, it, was, it was pretty Okay. <laughs> i think
2: did he come this time i don't know no okay well practice 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 i actually called you back because I had a question i really was dying to ask you after listening to your call you say that you give blowjobs i'm curious how you give a blowjob without touching a dick how does it get in your mouth do you, like run at it from the other side of the room with your mouth open and hope it goes in or do you take it in your hand before you put it in your mouth
3: i take it in my hand
2: so you have touched a dick before you have had a dick in your hands
3: I have,
2: yeah. In my life, I have. Okay. You just haven't given hand jobs. I just haven't
3: given hand jobs, yeah. Well,
2: that's not necessarily a problem. Most people, when they get to partnered sex, are less interested in being jacked off than they are in being blown or getting to fuck. So I don't think your male partners are all smarting or sad that you weren't jacking them off in the past. <laughs> But your current boyfriend, he likes to be jacked off, he likes a hand job now and then, and he was he's noticed yes. that he doesn't get them from you?
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay, so he needs to take some responsibility. Here's what you're gonna do. The next time you give him a hand job, you're gonna make a fist around his hand and you're going to hold still and he's going to fuck it until he comes. He knows how to give himself a hand job. He knows the pace, the intensity, the right angle, all of that that works for his dick, right? Right. And so he can make all that happen for himself in your closed fist without having to fault you or guilt you or make you feel like you're doing it wrong. He can show you how it's done right. He can show you exactly how he jacks off himself, how to successfully make him come with a fist by using your fist to make himself come.
3: Okay. So you, I think that's a good
2: plan. you be still in stationary. He stands up. He fucks your hand. He fucks your fist. And is he communicating to you about pace or intensity or grip or lube? Or is he just being very quiet while you <laughs> attempt to masturbate him?
3: He's just being quiet. And I'm like sitting there all like in my head being like, I don't know if I'm getting this right. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's probably
0: not.
2: You guys <laughs> You guys need to go on Garfunkel and Oates' website and watch the hand job, hand job, I don't understand job song that they did about the hand job, because they don't know how to do it either. Um, and, and he needs to communicate to you. He needs to give you some feedback, data, input. If he expects this to work, you're not a mind reader or a cock reader. You gotta have. He's got to communicate. It's not enough. Is he very inexperienced or something, or is he just a jerk? He's
3: neither those things.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, then. then, then, then I mean, then, he
3: was kind of he was kind of jerky when he said like, "You never touch my dick," but like.
2: But he's not a jerk and he's not inexperienced, but somehow he's gotten to this stage of life. We're still operating under the assumption that uh, the ability to give a hand job, not just to him in particular, but to all men generally, is something that is an innate skill that all women and all men uh, (laughs) who sleep with men, a a skill that they must possess or do possess. And there's no uh, onus on him to communicate his needs, his particular style, what works for him. Because I guarantee you the hand job you're giving him right now that isn't working, if you gave it to the guy sitting next to you on the bus, it probably would work. It probably works for other guys. It's not working for him because it's not the kind of stim for some reason that his dick needs. And he needs to tell you what that kind of stim is. And he if, he if he can't communicate about it, he can show you. You close your fist. Then he does what he needs to do with hips and dick to make it happen for himself in your fist. Or he starts talking. If he needs to be flat on his back when he gets a hand job, if he needs to lay down when he gets one, then he needs to start communicating.
3: Okay. And how do I say this, Tim? Am I like, hey, uh, you have to communicate with me?
2: Well, then what should I say? It sounds like you need to start communicating. Also, you say to him, (laughs) I need some input from you. I need to know, uh, you, you need to tell me what feels good, what doesn't feel good. When you guys have penis and vagina sex, do you communicate? Do you say, oh, that feels good? This is working. Yay, keep going. Yeah. Okay, so you're already. Totally. You can do it about penis and vagina. You can do it about penis and fist. Does this feel good? Okay. Is this working? Do you want it tighter? Do you want it looser? Should we use lube or more lube or no lube? Do you want me, you know, running my bare hand over your glands, or if he has a foreskin, do you want me moving the skin up and down and back and forth? What do you want? What feels good for you? It might also help if you have you ever watched him jack off himself. No. Do that. Oh, that's first. Step okay. Step one, tell them to masturbate in front of you. Step two, masturbate him while he tells you what works. Step three, if neither of those steps work or step two doesn't work after step one, then you close your fist and you say go to town and you stay perfectly still and he fucks your fist.
3: Okay.
2: Good luck. Give us a Sounds call. like a plan. <laughs> Do it tonight. Give us a call back next week so we can uh, let everyone know how it went.
3: <laughs> okay, great. Thank you.
2: Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. Audiobooks are great to listen to when you're driving, when you're stuck in traffic, or when you're doing chores around the house. And for listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service if you haven't already. One audiobook that Savage Lovecast listeners might want to consider is Mating in Captivity, by Esther Perel, narrated by Esther Perel. You've heard me mention this book about 7,000 times. It's about time that you read it or listen to it, and Audible is going to help you listen to it for free if you're a Lovecast listener, so you can try out their service and hear this great book. For that free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash
1: savage. Hi, 24-year-old heteroflexible flexible male here calling about the topic of tunneling this lockjaw. When you go for a while without going down on a woman, which happens, how do you deal with uh, just the muscles being out of shape? You just go and go, and then the quality of what you're doing degrades because you haven't done it in a while. And then eventually you just have to quit completely. I love going down on women, so it's too bad. Um, tell me what you think.
2: Take little breaks, try different positions. Uh, if the woman that you're going down on is laying in bed uh, on her back and you're between her legs and your head is sort of yanked back at a Sharp angles so you can get your face in there. That may be exhausting after a while. Or if you're laying on your back and she's sitting on your face and bringing a lot of pressure to bear on your jaw, that can get exhausting after a while. Sticking your tongue out can get exhausting after a while. Um, so shift up those positions to give your to go at it at different angles. we Will give your jaw little breaks and uh, go for it. Just go for it. And there's no sin. There's no. And there's no shame in having to take a little break. There's no shame in going down on somebody like crazy and then coming up for air and making out for a minute and doing a couple of other things and then keeping the pussy in play, keeping the clit in play, keep her fingers on it or your fingers on it, maintain the erotic tension and that plateau that you're at of arousal at that moment and then dive back in. You can do that with pussy when you're eating pussy. Keep playing with the clit uh, while you make out. Do other stuff. If you're going down on somebody who has a dick and you're blowing them and your jaw gets tired, your mouth gets tired, you can take a break. You can go up. You can kiss them. You just keep stroking that dick so you don't lose the ground that you've already gained so that they're still as close to coming as they were when you came off their dick or off their clit. And then dive back in for the last 30 seconds or last two minutes or whatever it is. And you win. You gave a great blowjob. You ate pussy like a champ. The mark of good oral sex is not once the tongue is there or once the mouth is on it, the tongue and mouth are not removed until climax. You can mix it up so that you have little rests and little breaks and you can keep going and it's still good oral sex. You will have no points removed from your score for taking those little breaks. We want to thank our sponsors, Smartmouth Mouthwash. Smart Mouth chose our show to advertise on because they know that we are committed to getting our listeners laid And getting laid usually starts with a ton of kissing and you don't want bad breath. Fortunately, Smart Mouth Mouthwash blocks bad breath for a full 12 hours so you're ready to go whenever. And Smart Mouth can even prevent morning breath when you rinse at night just in case you're waking up next to someone. Most other mouthwashes only last an hour or so, but Smart Mouth can go all day and all night. Just mix two solutions before rinsing twice a day to activate powerful bad breath blockers. That's the secret to the longest-lasting fresh breath out there. Don't get breath blocked. Get Smart Mouth and get fresh with 12 hours of fresh, clean breath. Find Smart Mouth activated mouthwash in the shiny green bottles at CVS Pharmacy or anywhere you shop or at SmartMouth.com.
4: Hi, Dan. I have a question. I'm a polyamorous and I'm living with two partners. Uh, we're very happy together. We've been together for four years. The relationship is pretty open, but I'm usually the one who have uh, partners and they're both aware of it. Uh, recently, a friend reached out from the past, someone I knew, I don't know, five years ago, six years ago, and she's in a monogamous relationship. Uh, not very happy with the boyfriend she's currently in a relationship with. She's they have been together for four years, and she's been talking to me of opening up the relationship, being polyamory, and everything. Um, but obviously there is a little bit more going on. She's uh, into me. I'm into her. Um, you know, last time we dated, we held hands. I almost kissed her, and I told her that. I don't want to go further because she's going to probably feel guilty. And she told me she has all these feelings toward other guys. So on one hand, I don't want to pursue it because I don't want you know, to be the source of any, anything happening in the relationship, even though she indicated she wants to see other guys in general. On the other hand, I don't care. I don't care about the guy she's with. I care about her. And if she wants to, see me on the side or something i don't feel i really care i kind of feel i should care but i don't and i don't think she's going to break the relationship anytime soon so i'm just thinking about what to do again i'm very supportive of her uh would like her to also date other guys besides me get into this lifestyle but maybe she's not ready and i don't know if i'm willing to be the person she's cheating with
2: I think you risk bringing a lot of drama and chaos into your own happy, content, honest, above-board, settled poly life and lifestyle by fucking this woman who is lying to her partner. Because when he finds out, and it's a when, because fucking you is probably her way of slamming her hand down on the self-destruct button, destroy the relationship she's in now. Who knows how big an explosion slamming the hand down on that button is going to create? And are you going to get singed or burned? You know, If it gets ugly and dramatic and chaotic and you – know, I'm not saying violence necessarily is going to break out. But if he's mad at you too, not just at her, mad at also the guy that she was fucking when he found out, is he going to get in your face? Is he going to come and scream and yell at you? Is he going to burn you all over social media? Is he going to murder you in your sleep? I don't know. Any of those things are possible depending on the size of the – explosion she's engineering which is what she's doing she's unhappy in this relationship she wants to fuck other people she's gonna do it by cheating he's gonna find out it's gonna end the relationship that's how that works on the other hand sometimes it takes getting it elsewhere for a minute for people to scrounge around inside themselves and find the resolve to end the thing that they're in now Sometimes cheating isn't slamming the hand down on the self-destruct button. It's getting a taste of your future life, your life when this relationship is over and you're free again that inspires people to go and end the relationship. So you're kind of on your own. Like what are you willing to risk? Like fucking you may be the transformative experience that she needs to go end this relationship that's bad for her that she wants out of anyway. Fucking you may be something she's willing to keep doing and doing and doing until she gets caught and it's going to explode in her face and potentially your face too. So it's up to you what you want to risk. I would have a long conversation with her if I were you. You're in poly land. You're in the poly community. You're in above board. Everyone's being honest. Nobody has to be shitty and sneak around. And she's asking you to return to sneak around land or even if – You don't have to hide it. You're participating in her sneaking around. You will be then sneaking around some yourself. Are you willing to do that? Or you could say to her, I will fuck the shit out of you when you're single or when this is above board. And you can be the leverage that she needs to get to more honest, stable, and less explosive place.
0: This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is a smart way to build a website, blog, or online store. They offer simple, powerful design, fantastic customer support, and every website comes with a free online store. It costs only $8 per month and comes with a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code SAVAGE to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Build it beautiful.
2: We're going to take a quick break from your calls. There are tons of researchers and scientists and psychologists and shrinks and everybody else, sociologists out there looking into sex and sexuality and relationships and marriages and how that stuff works. When one of them releases the results of a study that we find interesting, we invite them on a show for a little segment called What Do You Got? Joining us to talk about his work and what he's learned, Sean Wojcik, a social psychologist from the University of California, Irvine. So, Sean, what do you got?
1: Well, I've uh, recently conducted some research for my dissertation on the relationship between political ideology and happiness, uh, which is something a lot of people have studied before. um, And a lot of people have found that political conservatives report being happier and more satisfied with their lives. Well, of
2: course, um, of course, ignorance is bliss
1: well that's that's one theory so there there are a lot of uh hypotheses about uh you know why conservatives report being happier than liberals um you know your your hypothesis is is one other people have said there are personal social and cultural values that are unique to conservatism that uh make people happier. other people say it's about their sense of agency and optimism mm-hmm. uh and Others say that this is something that might be closer to to your response is that conservatism kind of offers this palliative function of justifying social inequality. So that liberals are kind of torn up about feeling bad about the underprivileged and conservatives don't have that same problem.
2: So it's sort of an intersection between uh, ignorance is bliss and who gives a fuck about you.
1: Uh, that's one way to put it, I guess. I yeah. mean, I've noticed um, that
2: we've talked a lot on the show about the empathy gap or the empathy problem that so many conservatives have where they can't, you know, Nancy Reagan cares about stem cell research because Ronald Reagan had Alzheimer's. Rob Portman is for gay marriage because his son's a faggot. Same with uh, Dick Cheney and his daughter. Uh, Rush Limbaugh is for drug treatment instead of incarceration because he got his ass addicted to drugs. Megyn Kelly and Fox News is for maternal paid leave because she had a baby. Conservatives can't empathize until it literally happens to them. They don't have the moral imagination that liberals have where you can project yourself into someone else's life and feel bad for them and want the world to be better for them. So is that why liberals are generally more miserable?
1: Well, that's, uh, again, that's one of the explanations, or it's, you know, related to one of the explanations. They didn't put it in quite those terms uh, that other social scientists have put out there. Uh, But what my colleagues and I have recently suggested is that conservatives have uh, this stronger tendency to, to evaluate themselves in a really confident way. And so what we found is that of all this research showing the conservatives uh, report being happier than liberals, it's, it's all based on self-report surveys and questionnaires.
2: Are you just being super polite? You're trying to say they're lying? Like they're lying about climate change and evolution and the risks and dangers of gay marriage You're just lying about this, too?
1: No, it's not so much lying. I think of it more as self-confidence. I mean, really, it's we observe it across a whole bunch of, of different traits and abilities when people are, are evaluating themselves on these surveys and questionnaires. Um, a lot of people, and, and liberals included, tend to evaluate themselves in this overly positive way. So like 91% of people once said that they're above average drivers. I <laughs> mean, um, it's not that they're lying, right? I mean, a lot of people believe that they're above average drivers. I mm-hmm. mean, um, a lot of people are, but probably not more than half. Um, And so when we look at all kinds of different traits and abilities, we we find this phenomenon, but it's stronger for conservatives. And it appears that happiness is one of those traits that gets reported at this very high level. Um, And so what we did in our study was try to look for uh, behavioral manifestations of happiness where the self-report bias might not be at play.
2: And what did you find? What do you
1: got? Well, we looked at the... Language that people use both in Congress and in social media. We looked at the way people smile in their uh, photographs, and what we found is that liberals actually display more happiness than conservatives, even though you get the opposite pattern when people are self reporting. And so we saw more positive emotional language by liberals um, in Congress, on Twitter. Um, I've replicated this elsewhere too. Um, and also, when you look at the, the smiles of people in photographs, Uh, We looked at both how people smile with their mouths, but also how people smile with their eyes, which is what psychologists think is indicating more genuine expressions of enjoyment and happiness. And what we find is that liberals are not only smiling more intensely than conservatives, they also smile more with the eyes, which indicate this more genuine presentation of happiness.
2: So liberals are happier, but they self-report as more miserable, and conservatives are less happy, but they
1: self-report as happier? That's one interpretation. So it really gets kind of philosophical about how we ultimately define happiness. So on the one hand, if you look at behavior, then liberals are happier. But they feel, um, but, but, they the feel hand, but liberals
2: feel guilty about that. They have happiness privilege. So they're going to feel terrible about being happier and claim to be miserable. So they can well, be in solidarity going with the on. other miserable people of the world
1: yeah that could be it i mean it's it's tough to say and it's it's hard as a psychologist to look at this and and to really say with confidence that these behaviors are more important than self reports or vice versa and so I mean you might not like the it might feel like I'm uh you know giving a you know talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but really it is tough to say that either group is happier and I think that's what we come away with this saying is that um it really depends on how you measure happiness if we want to say either group is truly happier than the other.
2: But if you measure happiness by self-reporting conservatives are happier, if you measure happiness by these by evidence of happiness liberals are happier. That's basically what you found.
1: Yeah, that's what we're finding. Wow.
2: Well, that's good to know. So liberals have the decency yeah. to pretend to be miserable and conservatives lie and pretend to be happier because you know conservatives are all about winning and you know asserting that American life or the, the their lifestyle and God and guns and grits and gravy, that all of this is everything anybody should want. And I've got it. So I've got to pretend to be happy, even though God's guns, grits and gravy is making me miserable.
1: Yeah. It, so it's, it's interesting. You can look at it and say that conservatives are over-reporting their happiness, or you might look at it and say liberals are under-reporting their happiness. Could be that both of those are true. It could be that just one of those is true. Um, and it's really tough to say. It's it's interesting that no one else has really compared these groups looking at behavior before. Have you
2: factored in the the the, the liberal anybody who's ever been involved in in liberal politics, particularly lefty radical politics, as I have in Coronation and ACT UP and other organizations? It is a phenomenon that if you like appear to be happy, people will jump down your throat about. You know, what about Darfur? I can't believe you're going on vacation when people are. Well, look what's happening in Dar. Like, there's always someone more miserable out there. That whatever you're working on, how can you be working on this when this is going on? And you should be prioritizing this instead of that. And there's all this guilt tripping, worst case scenario shit that goes on. And you know, anybody's been to a liberal meeting and talked about their vacation and had three or four people scold them, is familiar with this mm-hmm. phenomenon. So you don't go to that liberal or radical, lefty, progressive, whatever, and mention the fact that you just got back from vacation, lest you be scolded. And I think that can create sort of a downward pressure upon liberal reports of happiness or enjoyment or pleasure. Maybe that has something to do with it.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, we've looked at this mostly in the sense that uh, conservatives might have a stronger tendency to want to present themselves as happy, but the opposite could definitely be true, where liberals want to underreport how happy they are. Um, and I, it's interesting too because I've heard this from you know some conservatives when they hear these findings, they say, well, maybe conservatives are smiling less because you know not because they're, they're less happy but because they're, they're more formal or they're just uh, more professional or they're less likely to you know want to express happiness in a context where you know they should be taking things seriously And so there is there are some caveats when you interpret any one of these findings to say, well, does this absolutely a perfect measure of happiness? No. But when you look at the, the overall pattern across these different measures, it does seem that, that liberals are, are showing it and, and conservatives are reporting it.
2: So listeners who want to read uh, about your research, where can they find it?
1: So this was in uh, the April edition of Science. I think it was April 6th. Um, you can also find it uh, at my website, Um And we also have a lot of the research was conducted at YourMorals.org, which is a psychological research platform where we do a lot of uh, survey research on politics and um, morality and psychology, and um, so you can learn more about it there, too.
2: So for listeners out there who didn't grow up in places with uh, large Polish communities, would you like to spell Wojciech so they can find Sean? Sure. Well, Yeah,
1: and for the large Polish communities out there, I apologize for Americanizing the pronunciation, but it's uh, W-O-J-C-I-K, and my first name is F-E-A-N. Terrible. I
2: have to spell it everywhere I go. SeanWochick.com. Check out his work. He's a social psychologist from the University of California, Irvine. And liberals, keep smiling in your photographs with your eyes so we will win the happiness wars. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone with us today, Sean. Really appreciate it.
4: All right. Thanks for
1: having
5: me. Hi. um, I'm calling with a question about my relationship with my soon-to-be ex-husband. We've been living apart for about four months now. We have been married a little over five years We have a two-year-old son together. I have been trying out sex with a couple of other people, you know, people that I know. Very, just nothing really has been um, satisfying. Um, And, of course, I should just uh, keep looking. But um, recently I had sex with my ex-husband or seemed to be ex-husband, and it was really great. And it always has been. Um, but the reason that we are splitting is is trust issues around whether or not he has been unfaithful to me. I'm not sure if it's possible for me to continue having sex with him. If we, if I, I am definitely certain that I want to get divorced and I want to pursue other relationships at some point. I don't necessarily need to rush that right now, the other relationships, but um, I do want to have sex um, and he's really good at it. So um, I'm wondering if you can give me some advice on how I can emotionally protect myself. Um, Obviously we should be using protection because I've already declared that this is, we are not in um, or even pretending that we're in a monogamous relationship anymore. I'm not sure if I should just back off and not, not even go there or if it's possible. I'm not sure um, how the relationship could be fairly structured. I I need like some sort of guidance so that I have an emotional protection and I'm not also leading him to believe that we're going to get back together because we're not.
2: You want to know how you can emotionally protect yourself in this circumstance. And for the life of me, I can't see what could potentially be emotionally risky or tricky About fucking the man you're married to, but you're divorcing that you've only been living apart from for four months, who's the father of your two-year-old son. What are the risks? What are the dangers? I can't see them. It's a good thing to be friends with your exes. I'm a big supporter of uh, friendly relationships with exes. I actually think it's a really wonderful benchmark of uh, a person's character if they can have good friendly relations with their exes. I think that's something you should look out for. Uh, Beware the person... Who speaks terribly and badly of all their exes and has terrible relationships with all of their exes because they are the common denominator in all of those terrible relationships. But he's not quite your ex yet. And perhaps I do know some people who have FWB relationships with their exes. The sex was great. I liked them as people. They weren't great romantic partners sometimes because people had different expectations for their committed official boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife And the person who was a perfectly adequate sex partner and buddy fell short of those expectations. So they got rid of them rather than maybe shifting their expectations a little bit and expecting maybe less or something different, which might have made the relationship go. But if he's not who you want to be with, but it is possible to have an FWB arrangement with your ex. It might be easier to – make that arrangement and have it feel less emotionally fraught. If it hadn't been just four months since he moved out and you guys were exes officially, formally, legally exes, still your husband, the sex is great. You say he's great in bed and you want to have great sex. You should fuck him. I think you should fuck him and let the chips fall where they may. And it may get emotionally dicey, uh, may get stormy, but it's a divorce. It's going to be dicey and stormy anyway. You might as well have some sex along the way. All that said, you say that this relationship, this marriage is ending. You're divorcing the father of your son, ending this relationship because he was unfaithful and can't be faithful. And you don't indicate anywhere in your call that you guys have a high conflict interpersonal relationship setting the sex aside. You say the sex is good even great and you miss it. And I don't want to be a fucking evangelist for open relationships. But if it is a low conflict relationship, if you actually like him and you like sex with him, and the only problem is monogamy, a monogamous expectation is why you feel you have to divorce him because he's incapable of being faithful. Maybe it'd be easier to get rid of that. to to shift your expectations around what love and commitment is rather than to shit can this marriage and your husband and everything else that might work about it. But I'm just throwing that on the table. Something for you to think about. If you're a listener to the show, you probably already thought about that and you have very good reasons uh, for divorcing him and it's not going to work and you know it and you can see it. And that's why you asked the question, should you fuck him in the interim? And I say you should, I would if I were in your shoes, but what you're asking me to do to figure out a way to protect yourself emotionally, to wall off somehow emotions from all of this. I I don't think that's possible. You're going to have the emotions. You're going to have all sorts of feels as you divorce this man, as you end this marriage. It's not possible to fuck this man and then say this little part, this chunk, the sexual dimension of our relationship, we're going to make sure there are no feels here as we're having the feels we're having about The end of the marriage, the divorce, the impact it's having on our kid and our living arrangements and all the rest of it. I can't imagine that whatever feels you're going to have, whatever emotions you're going to experience tied to the sex will be louder, bigger, and more troublesome than all the emotions and feels you're going to have that are tied to everything else going on. So might as well fuck him.
3: Hey, Dan, I've got a comment for the caller who really wants to give his wife a facial I've always been pretty opposed to facials, but when an ex-boyfriend really wanted one, I agreed as long as we did it in the shower. One of the biggest issues for me was the thought of a mess and dealing with the cleanup afterwards. No cum in my hair, please. So doing it in the shower and being able to immediately wash up afterwards worked for me. Maybe easing into things this way will make her more willing to give it a go and possibly take it to the bedroom after she sees how happy it makes you. Either way, please don't expect this to happen every time we go. Good luck.
1: Hey, Dan. I'm calling about episode 444, where you compare Cunninglingus with a facial. I think that's just silly. I love to eat pie, but I would not want anyone to throw a pie in my face.
3: Hi, Dan. This is in response to a man who was questioning whether facials were inherently degrading and misogynistic to women. And I just have to say... I'm a feminist. My boyfriend is definitely a feminist, and we definitely enjoy having some dirty, kinky stuff where he comes on my face, and it's great. I love it. I don't feel degraded or ashamed, and even if I did, that would be okay, too. Uh, I especially love it when after he blows a load in my face, he licks it off my face. That's really fucking hot.
2: And we're going to leave it there. 206 201 2720 is the number. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206 201 2720. The call for submissions is up for Hump Fest 2015. You can find out how you can make a film for the world's best amateur dirty porn film festival by going to humptour.com and clicking on the submit awesome. follow me on twitter at fake dan savage follow chelsea poe on twitter at chelsea poe 666 a big thank you to sean Wojcik, and thanks to the wet spots for their what you got theme song and check out their other music at wet quickly before we go a tweet from michael stewart at mike underscore j underscore stewart who tweets stuck in katmandu airport for hours binge listening to savage Lovecast is only thing he saying oh that's heavy Mike we're glad that you're getting out of Kathmandu our hearts go out to everyone in Nepal who suffered in the wake of this earthquake it's devastating we're glad that the Savage love cast helped you pass the time in the airport I kicked in some money uh, for the Nepal relief efforts I hope everyone else out there listening kicked in some Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me, and the tech savvy At risk We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.